expectations are the foundation of disappointment. And so if you set poor expectations and then something goes differently than expected, that's when a customer gets disappointed. Once you know what to do, you may have a lot of work, but it's just work and we can all do work. The stress is when you don't know what to do and clarity eliminates that problem. I think a lot of times as business owners, we just think of the costs that we have as assumptions in our head and right. we avoid things, but it's good to have clarity, right? Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep dive. Martin, are you moving out west or just visiting out west? I'm flying out to California on Friday, going to a horse show on Saturday, and I'm flying back Sunday. <laughs> what in the world? What are you going to a horse show for? Well, my wife's aunt, 85-year-old aunt, lives out there. Yeah. And she's had horses for 84 years. And she's very active, and she was talking about this big show she's in, and Diane and she cooked up a deal that we're going to come out and go to the show. And they were coming home. Wow. Okay. You seem really excited to go. Uh, it's fine. But you know what? It's like <laughs> leaving town, right? I do know what it's like. All, you know, I uh, probably shouldn't recommend it to everybody, but I do a lot of my cleanup on the weekend. You know, theoretically, if you have an hour between coaching sessions or appointments or whatever you're doing, you can jump over there and write an article or jump over there and reconcile your bank or do all the little loose ends. But it's, I don't really do that. It's not the best use of my time, but I don't do that. I yeah. kind of put it all together and knock it out on a Saturday. And right. uh, so I'm losing this Saturday and losing a Saturday after that to a wedding and Saturday, two weeks after that to a road trip. So going to have to tighten up my discipline. Yeah. That's uh, that's kind of maybe the downfall of working on the weekends is if there's an event. Right. Well, depending on the weekends, yeah. Yeah, it depends on the weekend. Yeah, I, I mean, it kind of gets to like, I mean, this is more of a personal thing, but um, we're trying to schedule weekly dates, Pal and I, for ourselves. And it's hard to do that on the weekends because there's events, there's things that come up. And so we've actually nailed like Wednesday nights down as our date night because it's basically protected. Like there's not very rarely will it interfere with something, you know, I think it's the right. same thing in, in business. If you can find a rhythm that's protected, uh, it'll have a lot greater chance of succeeding that than if you choose a time that's not protected, like, Oh, I just, I try to get to it in between meetings or whatever. Well, <laughs> things come up, right? Things come up. We could write that as the title of a business book. <laughs> things come up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this week we, we had kind of a mess, man. We've, uh, did I tell you about our attic? No. So our house is kind of a two tier, like two story on a part of the house, but then the garage is on the side that's, and it's connected and it's only one story. And so that attic over the garage touches the side of our, um, upstairs and it actually touches our master bedroom and then our daughter's room. And so, uh, that attic just has blow in insulation. It's not, um, you know, foam insulated. 
And so it's heating up those walls in our bedrooms. Oh, and it's you just, did tell me about that. Yeah, you yeah. cook an egg on your wall if you could get it to stay there. Exactly. Yeah. So been looking at spray foam companies, which seems like there's a lot of fly-by-night people in that trade. I don't know. Maybe I'm incorrect about that and just called the wrong people. But a lot of people just didn't answer or reply or said they would come out and then never came out. But there was a company that was pretty professional. Um, I won't shout them out because of what I'm about to say, but, uh, they, they came and did the job on Tuesday and because it was on the garage attic and not our living attic, he said, you know, you, 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 uh, you don't need to vacate the premises. Um, you can just stay here. If it irritates you, then just walk away. Well, an hour into the job on Tuesday, <laughs> you just, just fumes everywhere. You can smell it. And so we got to rush to get out of there and fi find a friend's house to stay at. And then we've also got to go and find an Airbnb. Funny enough, we huh. do get an Airbnb and the maid had left a, a door. It's kind of like a closet door, but it goes to the attic and the upstairs. It, they left it open. And so it the whole upstairs at the, oh, yeah, at the Airbnb. Oh, and so the oh. whole up, upstairs was like 85 degrees. So uh, anyways, Long story short, my my question here for you is like, is is that just poor education from the contractor of hey you you absolutely need to leave vacate the premises for twenty four hours? Which I I mean, I think maybe it was he didn't want to intrude. He didn't want to feel like he wanted to get the sale, and so no, you can you can stay here as long as it doesn't bother you. Just you'll be fine. Or it, it what do you think of that situation? Hey, that's a, that's a really great question and a really great topic. We, we have talked about it in the past, uh, and I call it a positioning document, but it's funny that you bring it up because it came up specifically with a, uh, with a client yesterday. The positioning document is what I tell people, your insulation guys insulated many hundreds of places, right? Right. But most people that he works for, or she works for have never insulated anything. So my point is who knows what's going to happen and it's you, right? Yeah. And the, the, the point being not the open door of the maid, but the fact that you're going to have to leave your house is something that he should know about. And it should be in a document that he goes over with. These are the things that we're going to do for you. These are the things that are likely to come up and these are the things you're going to do that, that we expect you to do for us. And if, as you go along listening, the guy might not have thought, oh, I never thought to bring that up. Of course not. But after it happens once, it should go on the positioning document. Absolutely. You bring it up and you tell people, okay, insulation, these are the benefits you get. This is what it costs. This is square footage. But we're going to have to cut a hole in the wall. We're going to have to take your sheetrock down. You're going to have to leave the house. You tell them that. And I think you hit on the reason that people don't is they want to get the sale. So they don't want to tell them the bad stuff. Yeah. And that's a classic case of overpromising. Even if you didn't say it, you neglected to say the negatives. So it's overpromising and underdelivering. The better course of action is to underpromise and overdeliver. You tell them the things that frequently happen. They're not inevitable, maybe at the next job, but you tell people this can happen. Now, the, having to move out of the house because of the, uh, smell or the toxic gases in the air, you're going to tell everybody that every time. 
And there's just no benefit in not doing it. And you're right, people are scared that they'll lose the sale. But I think what really happens is you come across as the professional, you know, as some, you know, rather than a fly-by-nighter. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you have the opportunity to be extremely professional. And I think it's even, it's not even just something that you go over. I would have loved to have like a one sheet thing sent to me, like by text or email. And hey, here's the do's and don'ts. You know, if you start smelling something, leave the house or, you know, right. just abundance of caution type stuff. Uh, right. If you don't have fans available, let us know so that we can bring fans over to start ventilating the property. Um, expect to keep your windows open for 24 hours. Like we had to leave our garage open overnight. Um, while we weren't staying there, which is kind of a, you know, you can lock Ooh. the door into the house, but that's not a fun thing to do. You know, you're worried a little bit. Thankfully we had a camera for our daughter's bedroom that we could move downstairs and keep monitor and have notifications on if there was movement or whatever, but, and our alarm system itself as well. But, you know, if you don't have those things, that's kind of nerve wracking. Um, so. you know. Because I was talking about this with a client yesterday, I have at my hand the best positioning document I've ever seen. And have I seen it, this before? What is it? I don't, I don't know if you have or not. It's uh, not mine, so I'm not say it's from somebody from a far distant state, but okay. I got my hands on it, and I just want to use it. Uh, it is between a home builder and the subcontractor. Oh, I've and, seen this. I've seen this, yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter substitute home builder for you as a contractor and your customer, but you're making things clear. And ha as I said earlier, the first half of a positioning document is what you're going to do, mm -hmm. what they can expect from you, what you're going to, in essence, guarantee them. The second half is what they can expect or what you expect from them. And in this one, the home company says, uh, the first thing you can expect or ex subcontractors can expect from us is that we're a very organized, we have run a very organized system that creates efficiencies for our trade partners, our subs. Hey, jobs are ready on time every time. No dry runs to the job sites, no reruns to finish up, you know, something that wasn't ready. Plans are clear and concise, no multiple phone calls, meetings, superintendents, homeowners to figure out how to do the install show up, do the work on the plans and, and purchase orders, only need to call or meet superintendent in rare circumstances. It continues like that. They've done a couple of things there. They've, they're telling you what they will do, but they're also showing that they understand you. Mm -hmm. Look what they've done there. Jobs are ready on time every time. No dry runs to job sites, no reruns to finish up something that wasn't ready. Every contractor listening to us knows what that's like. Yeah. It's going to be there Monday morning. You got the whole crew off another job. You show up and they're not ready. Right. Yeah. So that's their side on what they expect in return. They said that you complete the work and inspections by the scheduled date. This is extremely important to our entire team and to our home buyer. You will complete the work in a quality and work on my, work on my, sorry, workmanlike manner. You will have qualified lead person from your team inspect the work before leaving the job site. Do not rely on our superintendent to do quality control for your team. So it goes on down like that. 
there is just experience oozing off the page right from this there's also signs of a very organized company they're telling you your jobs are going to be ready on time every time right and the experience of saying hey you inspect it don't rely on us to do it we're not i mean this is i'm not reading you the whole thing but that's just a wonderful sheet that mm-hmm. sets sets the parameters sets the tone for the whole operation yeah and i think so much of it is not about when you're disappointing a customer like expectations are the foundation of disappointment and so if you set poor expectations and then something goes differently than expected that's when a customer gets disappointed if you're worried in the sales process that if you say this it's going to make them disappointed and it's before you even work together it's before you've even really getting it gotten a chance to prove yourself as the contractor all that you're doing is setting yourself up for failure later on if that does happen right because it's going to go against the expectations but if you can have this positioning document and from the very beginning set clear expectations good and bad right then there's there's less disappointment there's actually trust there's um right there's understanding there's clarity there's excitement that wow i feel like i'm going to be taken care of right right and so i think that that's what it boils down to is just you're going to disappoint people whether it's a sub or a customer or whatever employee if you don't set the clear expectations you know honestly it kind of goes into another thing that i wanted to talk about um i'm going to go back to the ad insulation later on cuz there's something else that came up with it but i saw this uh document called a guide to working with me have you ever seen one of those no but i like the sound of it so it's really for that manager role i mean I, honestly it could probably be for anybody on a team but the one that i saw was a manager role and it kind of reminded me of something that i've done um with my executive assistant but basically it's a list of things that you put down that are uh how to work with me right and so it says how i view winning and you put bullet points of how you view winning um how i communicate this guy he put my style is very short kind and direct uh i use a level of informality in business that is different for most i'll often tangent to anecdotes that are sometimes useful but can wander i'm not giving you the results if i'm not giving you the results you want ask again i probably just didn't get it um what do i do in the ideal world uh i would if for him he puts i um in the ideal world i get to be a visionary style role all the time. I prefer to offload all admin and uncreative t- tasks to others that love them. I love creative tasks. Anything repetitive, I'll automate, delegate or procrastinate. I think of myself as uh best as a leader and enabler of people. I find classical management a necessary evil. I won't provide you initiative. Real-world impact matters to me most. I have no time for the impractical or theoretical. Basically just want results. and he kind of goes on like so it covers things that uh things i do that may annoy you or be misunderstood um and then he has how do i best process information is it email text is it video is it phone call that kind of stuff what gains and loses my trust my strengths my weaknesses um expectate the expectations i have for my direct reports um what my logistics are um for example he says i do regular one-on-one meetings from day 1 at the same time each day or each week and each month um 
for small things that need to be done immediately, I prefer to receive a text message, things like that. Um, then giving and receiving feedback. So it just covers all those different areas of how to work with this guy and makes it, it's essentially that positioning document for a working relationship right, with someone. Right. It's beautiful. And, and just makes it so clear of this is how we can see, succeed together. And again, it sets those expectations so that you can avoid the disappointment of the unset expectations. That's, that's really brilliant. I might be uh, assigning that as a task here in the coming weeks. Yeah. And obviously this stuff is like, that's a lot, that's pretty introspective too, though. It's very, you got to be very aware and, you know, yeah. you hear about those, you know, companies doing personality tests and Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and all this stuff. And you're like, how do you find time for that? What's the benefit? But at the end of the day, that's basically what it is. Um, you know, you're, you're able to have clarity around the people on your team and how you can best function together so that then you can have clear expectations of how to work together, how to thrive together, uh, how you can enable people. Um, yeah. And the re I, I, you know, so much of his exact visit, his exact guide to working with him actually resonates with me a lot. Like there's tons of things that I do that annoy people. I, I am very informal a lot of times. Um, and I'm not always the easiest to work with because of that. But also I have no problem with someone saying, Hey, can we just get serious? And uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. You yeah. know? So I am being serious. No, <laughs> that, you've said it a number of times here. Uh, clarity really is. That's the number one reason people quit. 53% of people who leave a job uh, cite unclear expectations as the reason. And I, was preparing a speech and I came across a, a quote by Chuck Knoll, the former Steelers coach, NFL coach. And he said, stress is what you feel when you don't know what to do. I thought that is great. Once you know what to do, you may have a lot of work, but it's just work and we can all do work. The stress is when you don't know what to do and clarity eliminates that problem. If you, and he's, that's what he's doing. If you want to communicate with me, this is how you do it. Uh, that might be a little bit of a uh, superior to a subordinate document. <laughs> I can see the new hire walking in and handing the CEO, CEO that piece of paper and saying, if you want to work with me, you got to be polite. You got to call me between 8, 15, you know, whatever. But yeah, I just to do that exercise is great. Yeah. I was actually, I had a lunch with a guy yesterday, um, Mike McConnell, fantastic, um, fantastic person. I thought you'd find this interesting, Martin. So he is the, uh, he, well, I'll go back to his career. Used to be a landman in the oil and gas industry. Eventually worked his way up at Enron to be the CEO of global markets. Uh, he had six different global markets, uh, literally every continent. <laughs> he had- You he had was, lunch with this guy? Yeah, I had lunch with him. Was it was he in prison? He was the only executive at Enron who was not subpoenaed. Really? And just because he has that much character, he wrote a really great book uh that I actually read roundabout story how I even found it. It's it's you know, it's kind of like your book, Martin. Not many people have read it. I'm just hey. kidding. <laughs> True. No, no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's a self-published book. It's not like it's a New York Times bestseller or anything like that. But uh, I was actually at the University of Oklahoma only for one year when his daughter was also there. And his daughter 
was dating my best friend for like six months and he read the book and then I took it off of his shelf. I digress. His book is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And he talks about the Enron stuff, but he talks about a lot of other really great, you know, life advice. And, um, he ended up going, leaving Enron and working at a, um, small oil and gas firm that he took public. And then in 2018 or whatever, oil just, everyone really struggled when the price of oil dropped. And so uh, now he is the director of the energy management program at OU down the road. And um, I was able to grab lunch with him. It was really great. And he's taking a completely different approach than um, any, anybody in academia that I've seen. And what, when he took the job, when he was interviewing, he said, I will not recruit students here if we don't have jobs for them. Like, and that's just not a, something that I've, I've seen in academia. It's usually like, Hey, we're going to get you this degree. It's all about the degree. It's all about enrollment numbers inside of academia. But he's like, no, until we have the jobs, I will not recruit people. I, w- I won't even accept them into the program. And so what he's doing is he's flying to all these oil and gas companies and renewables companies, um, utilities companies around the nation, really. And he's talking about how great their program is. And uh, it he's actually created every single person in the energy management program at OU, which now I believe there's you know a little over 100 or something along those lines. He, every single one of them has an internship their sophomore year, every single one of them. And it's just a completely different approach. And now he's able to, now they're starting to recruit again um, because they have the jobs for it. And it's just a, it's a different approach than I think most people would take. And yeah. I think sometimes it takes that to run a successful operation is a, a different approach. And that goes back again to our positioning document. Maybe most contractors aren't going to educate on uh the, the disappointments that could occur during the job ahead of time because they're worried about the sale. But if you do things differently, people can gain your trust. Right. And so people don't, under, don't misunderstand here. It doesn't mean that you list everything that could ever possibly go wrong because you can beat yourself out of a sale. But the things that you have experience with that are a high percentage of the time it rains and you can't pour the concrete that day doesn't mean that you'll be there the next day because you had to go to another job. And so one day of rain might set the project back a week, but you have to discuss those things and stay in communication. So what you were talking about, uh, setting a different goal, his goal is jobs, not a degree, which is uh, magnificent, made me think about this is a digress digression no go ahead but people always people always frequently talk about academia compared to those of us out here as civilians they don't live in the real world and you know say in the real world this is this this well they live in their their real world their own real world and i was just trying to think about what is it uh, it is different, and I think painting with a broad brush that part of it is there are not the same consequences in academia. I read a great quote the other day that said, capitalism works in practice. Now let's see if it works in theory. Right. Yeah. The, the problem 
with some of the academic stuff is I've got a great theory. Maybe I influence economics or like Paul Ehrlich did, zero population growth, uh, have great influence on China. That's where the one child yeah. came from. India did the same thing, have this tremendous impact. Turn out he's wrong and there are no consequences. Those of us who are contractors and in business, we realize there are consequences. <laughs> it's yeah. goodbye. I saw a uh, bumper sticker on a car the other day and it said, I believe you can imagine what model of car it was and what the guy driving it looked like. But it said, I, I will believe corporations are people when Texas executes one. And I had to smile. I said, Texas probably executes a hundred corporations a day as they go bankrupt or yep. in default or anyway. So, wow, that is way off of being in the attic and smelling toxic fumes. But Well, uh, you know, I, I'm seeing kind of a theme in some of these things with the positioning document with right. you know, subcontractors, with customers, but even then that guide to working with me. I think in all those things, really what you're doing is you're setting the stage for the narrative of how this job is going to go. Like you're controlling right. the narrative more or less. And I think that's something that's often not done enough in terms of how your em employees interact with customers and how they understand your business. Um, a lot of times an employee takes a job because they want to get paid. They feel like they have the skills to do the job, or maybe it's a promotion so they can learn new skills um, and that they like the people they work with. But not a lot of times are they thinking about the actual customers and how you're solving their problems whenever you're taking that job. Right. And another great thing that I saw, especially you know, if, if you're a contractor that is fairly large and you're not really getting to onboard every single employee, that's another you know, manager's job is to onboard employees, train them on the systems that you use, get them set up inside of your company. Um, this, this guy is basically in that position. And, uh, what he does is he has, he records a video and it's really scripted. The first minute is custom to that new employee. Excited to have you along. I see that you're coming from this place. Uh, you know, whatever personally thing he can say in the first minute, the rest is really just scripted that he resays. And in it, he covers who we are why we exist, how we help our customers, and what we do to help them today. And so just by covering those, those things in that video, one, it makes the, the employee, um, the new employee feel welcomed and like they matter because it's a personal video. But two, the first interaction they're getting with the CEO, owner of the company is about the customers. And so they're going to take that with a certain level of uh, I need to be listening and this really matters. Right. And I think the more that you can take it back to the customer, a lot of times inside of your work, even at that, you know, technician level or whatever, and think about the customer and how you're solving their problems and how you're meeting their needs. If you know those things, you do your job differently than if you're just seeing it as a task, if you're seeing it as a checklist that you've got to, you know, check. Um, and so I, I thought it was a fascinating approach to onboarding people, especially when you can't be in the onboarding process as the CEO because you're so large. For people to uh, look, who wrote the uh, guide to working with me? Can we find it on so the that's actually I've actually seen that before. Um, he, well, the one you were talking about. Do you yeah, have, the one I was talking about today, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. It's from Twitter. He's a great follow, Michael okay. Girdley um, out of San Antonio. 
and uh, he's actually got a really cool podcast called Acquisitions Anonymous, um, where they look at acquiring businesses and they review their financials and their basically whole setup and if it's a good acquisition or not. Um, so that that was that's a pretty cool podcast and a really good follow. But he's the one that did the one I I mentioned. You can also search like how uh, how to work with me guide or something like that on Google, and there's several examples. I've seen, I saw one a couple of years back that was also really good. Uh, this one, I'll also put a link to, this is Alex Lieberman, who is the uh, co-founder of a newsletter called The Morning Brew, but he's kind of a serial entrepreneur and starts, has started a, a few different businesses as well. And he uses that for onboarding new employees to his different businesses. You know, people listening to this, driving somewhere or or maybe me sitting doing a podcast go, oh man, I, I want to do that. And, or, or creating your uh, positioning document, go, that's a good idea. I need to do that. And then you're starting to think, oh, when am I going to sit down and write this? Or maybe I get chat GPT to help me write it. Right. Yeah. But one thing you can do is, and this is what I encourage people to do. I'm still a paper guy. So carry around notebook or however you take notes. And as things pop up, just put them on the list. Yeah. Right. It's like the growth of a contract. I'm sure I've talked about one of my pool contractors. His first pool just said, hey, it's going to look like this and cost this much money. And he didn't mention the gas line, the sprinkler system, the fence, the dirt that had to be moved. And he wound up paying for all that. Well, those things got rolled into the next contract. Right. And they continue to grow. His contract continues to grow as he hits experiences, but he has a contract to add it to. So it isn't necessarily a case of take a Saturday and sit down and create this document. It's, it's get started with it and then add things as they come up and prioritize. And I think, well, I think even creating a process inside of your business for writing those things down, like every time we finish a project, we have a 15 minute meeting with technicians on the job, the manager on the project manager. And we say, what was great about this project? What went wrong on this project? What can we yeah. improve in the future? Deep, and that, debrief, that, yeah. that, that debrief will then create your list of things to add to the positioning document, to your contracts, uh, to your systems, whatever it is, uh, I think is a great process to implement there. Right. You mentioned something else too, uh, in the name of the podcast, but business acquisitions. Uh, acquisitions Anonymous. Yeah. Right. But acquiring businesses is, is such a great idea. I mean, it's one of those things that in theory it works, does it work in practice? And obviously it does because a lot of businesses are acquired, Yeah. but people tend to look at the financial side of business acquisitions. Is it worth it? How much capital am I going to need? But the landmines are in the cultures of the businesses. It's, you have two separate companies doing business two separate ways with different leadership and you're going to roll them together and it almost, well, almost always, or maybe always, that's where the problems are. Yeah. And the same kind of things we're talking about right now, clarity, where both sides, the acquire or and the acquire E, if those are words, you, you have to be clear about who you are and what you do so that people can make their choices to come along with you or maybe leave, but yeah. rolling together the cultures. I'm a 
spreadsheet guy, you know that. It's so easy to put numbers in a spreadsheet and multiply two of them together and get a result. It's not that easy to bring two company cultures together. And that's where the hard part is. And pretty much that's when they don't work, a lot of times that's why. Yeah. Well, and a couple of things that you said there, um, I think for for a lot of our listeners, they understand how hard it is to run a small business. They know the pains, the struggles, the idea of acquiring a business from somebody else. They're all, they know that they're bringing along some baggage if they acquire that, all the, the stress and the you know, poor culture fits or whatever it is, they, they have kind of an innate sense of, oh, I might be getting into that uh, just because of their personal experiences that they've, they've had. That's not always the case. There's, I, we had a, we've had a couple of ed- episodes with guys that I think are really great for this uh, next segment that we're about to talk about. But the Chris Edwards was the um, gentleman in Colorado who came from a finance background, was doing right. private equity roll-ups, uh, yeah, Steamboat really both streams. Yeah. He's in Spe- uh, steamboat Springs, really great guy purchased a small business during the pandemic. Uh, that was a, uh, flooring. flooring company in, and, and also countertop eventually came with it in, in steamboat Springs. And he, he was learning the struggles of it, but he's also like doing a really good job. Um, which isn't always the case. And I think especially with all of the COVID relief uh, packages that the government did. And we kind of talked about that in the SBA episode, but basically we'll pay the first six months of your small business loan to acquire a small business and all this kind of stuff. You had kind of this flood of people that really don't have SMB experience going in and buying a contracting business for the first time because they understand the financial aspect or because they were, you know, a, a operator at a large corporation. And then they start to see, oh crap, like we don't have any of this stuff in place that I had at my <laughs> previous job, or this isn't just a numbers game. This is a people troubleshooting, putting out fires game. And so we've also had another guest on the episode, on, on the show called uh, John Matzner, a really great episode on hiring talent overseas and, and beyond. Uh, he did a lot. He's, he's a really great follow on Twitter if you're not following him, but he had a tweet that was, I'm just going to read some of it because I think it's hilarious. Um, big mistake I see SM, uh, SMB buyers make, cosplaying as private equity. Do you know what cosplaying is, Martin? No. You know those, no. it's costume playing. You know those huge conventions where the people oh. dress up as the Nintendo characters or whatever. I, I have not been to one of those. <laughs> no, I've never been, but basically <laughs> I know you go and you, about. they yeah. really think they are the characters, like they're Zelda or they're whatever video game character. Anyways, SMB buyers acting, uh, cosplaying as private equity. Um, and he said, you're trying to buy a company from some guy named Larry. Judging Larry for not knowing his KPIs is really arrogant and wrong. Larry put his family through college off his business when you were still trying to remember to feed your Tamagotchi. I don't know what that means. Larry knows more about actually running a business than almost everyone in uh Fin Twitter is what he's talking about, but like finance Twitter, the finance guys combined, the stress, the ups, the downs, the nerves. Um, He's never bought a course. He never built a dashboard and he knows more about business than all of us. If you're lucky enough to find a Larry, instead of asking him for his data room, how about you get to know the guy? Larry doesn't care what, where you went to school, what you used to do, or 
how you have a great idea for a new CRM. He just wants to know if you're a good person, will treat him fairly, and not be an arrogant jackass as he considers passing the torch. Anyways, That's beautiful. I, uh, I think it's such a good point. Oh, it is. And uh, I'm writing a speech right now for that I'm kind of promoting. And I've talked about it before is the four fundamentals of business. And we've talked about that a lot. Uh, all true, all uh, important. But one of the points I'm making in the talk is that entrepreneurs begin their business to do something they're good at. Unfortunately, being in the business of doing something is a completely different animal than just doing it, right? Now, private equity guys, a little bit different than that. Right. But it's the things that you don't know about. It's the, it's the leadership issues, these good ideas of how to work with me, how to onboard clients or uh, customers and, or not customers, employees and customers. Um, how, do you, how do you build a culture, keep people from leaving? What's your leadership style? They never thought about that. How do you, marketing and sales, they've heard about that, but they're not really any good at it. They just think, oh, I'll hire one of these SEO guys or a AdWords guy or a Facebook technician and all these leads will flood in. And that just doesn't happen. Uh, and then all the administrative things. And it's, you know, like bookkeeping and HR and IT and legal issues and corporate governance and banking and managing cash flows. When they start their business, they're just good at doing whatever they do. And it is those, those three areas that cause most of the problems. It's very not, it does happen, but it's very seldom that somebody goes broke because they don't know how to pour concrete or build a house. It's one of the other things. It's uh, people are leaving or they don't do marketing well, or they run out of cash, or they get fined for have, not having workers comp. It's those things. And and that, I think, is kind of what you were saying about the man. Larry knows more than all the fintech guys combined because yeah. they've never done all that. No. It, instead of being good at one thing they do, they're over here good at one administrative function. And they just said, well, just hire people. I remember talking to uh, somebody. Well, actually, I remember who, but I won't say. About how hard it is to be in business, how much suffering there is in small business. It's not all suffering, but there's a lot of suffering. And I, he said, well, like what? And I said, well, like you go out and do a job and people don't pay you. And he goes, well, he said, bullshit. I'll get paid. <laughs> I go, okay. How about you start a business of getting me paid? I'll have you collect everything. You know, just the absolute, uh, and I don't mean it in insulting, I mean it in a literal way, ignorance, you know, of people that don't realize everything. Yeah. So that's that's a great point that guy made. Larry knows Larry. more than <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, I said I'd go back to the attic insulation thing, and this is something I wanted to get your feedback on. Um, a really great guy running the company and uh, got to talk to him about his marketing and stuff like that because he's got some automations that come through and you know schedule. Uh, hey, we've got your appointment scheduled. We'll be there at 9 a.m., you know, things like that, that automatically send an email or a text message to the customer, um, really good systems, uh, to think about, but there were some issues with them, the ones that he had set up, uh, where, you know, we just got off the phone and discussed something different, but then the automation went through and now I'm getting, you know, conflicting information 
with what we just talked about. Um, also, you know, it, it sends over, hey, you've got an appointment scheduled for a phone consultation, but he's actually, but he said he was going to be on site. So I'm like, wait, is this just on the phone? I was planning to be at home. You know, all these things are coming up. Also, it's coming from it. I'm texting him on one phone number, but the automation text message is coming from a different phone number. And so all these little things coming up that you think about systems, and it got me to thinking about automations and their purpose. And um, I'm kind of coming to this realization, especially in the work that I do, that automations are really great internally, but can be dangerous externally. Dangerous, maybe not the right word there, but they, they can fail externally oftentimes. Um, and I, I'd, I'd almost rather a reminder be sent to text so-and-so with a copy-paste message that you can then review before you send it than just having the external automation. Um, and it, there's, there's, you know, so many dependencies, it's very contextual, but what do you think about, I mean, automations aren't something that you've dealt with probably a ton, Martin, but what do you think as the customer? Well, I agree with you. Um, HubSpot probably doesn't. Salesforce probably doesn't. Uh, if people aren't familiar with them, they, they allow their CRMs, but one of the things that they do is they allow you to set up workflows. So when this happens, then this happens. If the customer does this and this happens, if the customer does this and this happens. When I respond to HubSpot uh, notifications for me, I always say, as I did yesterday, hey, this is me. This is not the software. And I see that you live somewhere. And if you want to talk, please let me know. So I, I agree with that. Um, personal's not, if it's impersonal, it's impersonal. Yeah. And I can usually... I am using chat GPT more and more and yeah. I've seen it being used more and more, but I can still spot it. Oh yeah. Right. Absolutely. You know, that's in personal chat. A computer wrote it for me. Eh, you know, but it gives me good ideas. It might give me some bullet points to consider in my correspondence. So I think that's a really good point. Automation, automate inside, inside, but at the point where you're actually contacting and communicating with an actual outside Customer, important person, make it personal. Yeah, and there's and, there's absolutely use cases for external that makes sense. But like you're trying to get me to sign a quote, let's make that more personal rather right. than just an automated experience. You know? Um, yeah, it's so. I mean, I've got got a haircut yesterday, and I got a dental appointment in two weeks, and I get these text messages reminding me, fine. and that's fine. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But I think more of the crucial information that needs to be passed but there's an action item for me let's not audit automate it just you right. know so um yeah interesting stuff well um the i mean i think that's everything that i've got on my list you had contracts that you wanted to talk about what is that oh yeah well it, it's a little bit of a continuation of the um uh, positioning document Okay. Positioning document is informal. It's right. bullet points or maybe letter form. It shouldn't say anything that conflicts with the contract. You're you're expanding it. And there are attorneys listening. They're going, well, you better watch how you do it because it might become a part of your contract. But I have a new customer who handed me three contracts uh, day before yesterday and asked me to read them. Two were his to his customers. And one was one that he frequently signs when he works as a sub for a larger company. 
And of course, I bowed out and <laughs> sent those to uh, Eric Daffern, um, who was one of our early guests. Yeah. He's a construction law attorney in, in uh, Tulsa. But pay attention to your contracts and have a competent attorney review them. The, like my pool guy, he started added fences, move, you know, how to deal with, I'm not fixing your fence. I will tear up your sprinkler. If the gas line needs to be moved, it's at your expense. He added those in after he experienced them. Right. He's still adding things in. Perhaps if you went to a, an attorney, they could look at it, show you where, uh, presuming you wrote it or you borrowed one from a guy, right? Oh, I got one from Ralph and I'm using one that Ralph had. Well, when I suggest people go to attorneys, they always, or most often come back and say, I can't afford it. And then my response is, well, how much does it cost? And then <laughs> their response enough. is, I don't know. I said, well, let's find out. Uh, sometimes $300, $400, yeah. and you can get your uh, contract polished up a little bit and made a little more airtight. Plus, you've made a relationship with an attorney that you can call yeah. and ask a question to. It might cost you $300 to talk to him for an hour. But that's that that might have... Uh, avoid a hundred thousand dollar mistake exactly right? yeah but i didn't i didn't realize that you know a pay if paid type uh wordage when we have smaller contractors working with large general contractors there's a there's a weight difference there there's an experience uh, information differential there and they put a pay if paid clause in there and he said well if i want this job i guess i gotta sign it well maybe you don't have to sign it exactly that way what does pay if paid mean? Well, I did my work and you got paid. I'll go, oh, yeah, but it wasn't for your work, right? Anyway, um, dealing with liens, having a process so that you can, well, that that's a different subject, liens. But yeah, um, I, I do encourage people to get their contracts looked at by an appropriate person and yeah. reviewed. And they might not your business things. coach. Go to your not, 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 well, your business coach. Can help you find a lawyer. Sure. <laughs> and I, and actually, actually, as I read these, I'm going, I don't know if I'd sign that, but that's, that's not, that's not my bailiwick. And, right. and I, I shouldn't be practicing law. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, Eric's great. Go check him out. We'll put a link to him in the show notes as well. If you need an attorney, uh, probably in Oklahoma, he does work in some other yeah. States though. Um, Yeah. I think, well, I'm not going to put my legal advice out there. So, Well, I'll give you another example. It wasn't exactly uh, a contract, but it kind of is. Uh, an HR manual for your business. Yeah, and, employee handbook. It, yeah, and you know, there are kind of two ways to think about it. There are some things about how we do things, and it's kind of doing business, being an employee here. And, but yeah. there are also legal stuff that needs to go in there. and. I suggested, it's been a couple of months, said, you're talking to one uh, business owner. I said, you're at the point where you need an HR manual. said, don't need one, got it covered. I said, really? How, where'd you get it? So, said, well, my brother-in-law or my cousin or something like that used to work at the General Motors plant in Oklahoma City. And he brought me one of their manuals and that's what I'm using. Well, the General Motors plant closed in the 80s, I think. And it was changed a, a lot. 
and it was a General Motors plant. Said, and it was the same thing. Said, no, you need to get some advice and help you write this. It's like doing your own books. You don't, you're not going to be very good at it. It's not the best use of your time. Gave me exactly the same answer. Well, I can't afford it. I said, well, how much does it cost? Well, I don't know. Well, let's at least find that. Yeah. Right. It's a great, that's a great point about, I think a lot of times as business owners, we just think of the costs that we have as assumptions in our head and right. we avoid things, but it's good to have clarity, right? And yeah. just say, hey, well, how much does it cost? Well, right? and, and in these cases, the ones I'm talking about with contract review and an HR manual, they don't cost very much. I mean, yeah, they don't have to. Yeah. I mean, I mean we're talking if you want it to be super, super specific and you want to be interviewed and asked about your company, you know, but get something in place to start, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Once, once you've got a manual, then you've got something when you need to add a clause, a phrase, a page, a whatever. You've got something to add it to. Exactly. Exactly. So I think the last thing that I want to do to wrap up here, um, which I forgot about and was one of the first things I wanted to talk about. You forgot about wrapping up? No. Um, you, were a base, you weren't a farmer, but you worked on a farm, right? In Nebraska, kind of. <laughs> Well, I ran grain elevators. You ran grain elevators. But so we, you were but located we, we near a farm. <laughs> <laughs> I was located near a lot of farms. A lot of farms. Uh, but we did have a farm and I did raise pigs. So Okay. All right. So that, that doesn't make me a farmer. <laughs> I'm going to give a farmer analogy to business. But before I do that, I thought I'd put you on the spot here and have you tell me how you can think like a farmer as a business person. Like if one of our audience members is out there, they're running their business, how can they think like a farmer to be successful? Well, one thing that farmers do is they make a damn decision. Okay, well, explain. Because you have to plant and you've got a window in which to do it and you don't get to change your mind in August and go from corn to soybeans, <laughs> right? So they, they have to make a decision, put decisions, um, getting a little bit in detail, but there are a lot of varieties of corn, uh, some mature in 90 days, some, and my farmer friends listening to this, I still have a lot of farmer friends. They'll be going, yeah, Martin. Oh my no, gosh. Going, what are, you're butchering you know, No, they're, they call them numbers. Um, and they have different traits and some mature quickly and some mature over a longer time. Uh, there might, Part of the reasons you might expect yet a better yields over a longer time um, than a shorter. They're now, um, so you're always making trade-offs and you have to make those decisions. The reason you might want a shorter season is it's wet and you can't get in till late. Maybe you don't plant till May when you'd like to plant at the end of April. Uh, maybe you're pushed into June. Sometimes you're just sequencing your harvesting. So you need something to be ready now, not all 3,000 acres come, uh, are ready for harvest on the same week. Yeah. So you, you, one of the things that's kind of neat about farming is you make your decision and then you live with it because you can't do anything about it. So you're pretty spot that, on to what I'm about to get into. So I, I found this. And I, did, I didn't know that we didn't know you did. No, this is, I'm, I truly put you on the spot. I found this, uh, uh, picture of a slide from a talk that was being given. 
uh, at a business conference and it was called Think Like a Farmer. So I'm going to read the bullet points below it. Okay. You can tell me if you agree with it or not. Okay. First bullet point, don't shout at the crops. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Don't shout at the crops. Well, they oftentimes go outside and shout at God, you know, <laughs> because of too much rain or too little, but. Okay. So here's the next one. Don't blame the, the crop for not growing fast enough. Well, okay. I agree. Don't, don't uproot crops before they've had a chance to grow. Yeah. Well, that's, yep. Say the I course. Agree. Next one, choose the best plants for the soil, which is basically what you said. Yeah. Make yeah, a decision. Yeah, there's a lot of Right. But yeah. choose the best plants for the soil. Next one, irrigate and fertilize. Okay. As yeah. a business owner. Um, next one, remove weeds. Okay. And then I think this is my favorite one. Remember, you will have good seasons and bad seasons. You can't control the weather. Only be prepared for it. Yeah. It's all good. All good? Yeah. I, I have to tell you something on the uh, year of Bill de Blasio, New York governor. You know, he made a- Vaguely. Or mayor, I guess, not governor. But he had made it. He started um, whatever. Is it de Blasio? That's not de Blasio. The Bloomberg? Financial Bloomberg. Yeah, not de Blasio. Bloomberg. He said, hey, I deal in finance. It's not something simple like being a farmer where you just poke, you know, he held his hands oh, out and just wow. poke a seed in the ground and cover it up with dirt. And I'm going, oh, my God, man, you got to come out. Uh, but one of the things that they've he done- He ran for is, president. Yeah. Yeah. He was just, I mean, it's massive ignorance. Yeah. I mean, he's not ignorant in a lot of things, but he's, he is ignorant in a lot of, and he knows not that he knows not, but uh, you talked about fertilizing water, the plants. Well, one of the things that you used to have to do as a farmer was lay on the fertilizer up front. Okay. Put it on. Then you plowed the soil. You actually plowed it. They don't plow anymore, uh, but they used to, and then you go plant your, crop so you had your fertilizer bill regardless right. right part of the techniques are that we go along and fertilize as we go along it's better for the plant but also you'll see tracks of if you watch the tour de france you'll see the wheat and barley fields and they have tracks in them yeah and those tracks are so that they can go through with the machine and add fertilizer at the right times and you know, two things come from that. One is you don't make your whole bed up front. So if your mm -hmm. crop gets totally destroyed by a hail form, storm or a flood, you don't, you're, you're only out, out, the fertilizer. Your, you're out half your fertilizer. And the second thing is time um, plants can use the fertilizer more efficiently mm -hmm. at different times instead of just putting it all up on front. Listeners may be thinking, well, you put your fertilizer on, it's still there the next year. Some of it is phosphate and things like that, nitrogen. Uh, go off into the atmosphere or soak down into the soil and contaminate the the uh, ground the groundwater, but yeah. they're not in the root zone where it's available for the plants. So farming is man, we ought to do a deal on farming. Okay, next know. episode. I mean, it is. I have a friend, former client, but a longtime friend who uh, raises seed corn. We'll have to talk about that. Okay, but I went up with him. And what he was planning, he doesn't do his own planning usually, but, but he took me out. We got in a tracker and he's sitting in the driver's seat and I'm sitting in a captain's chair in the cab <laughs> and 75 foot boom, all run by GPS. He lines it out, sets the GPS. 
taps the throttle and turns around and just talks to me as we go across the field. And it's planting and it's little indicators are telling him if he'll slow down, he'll get more accurate planting and that will be worth $9 an acre at current prices. Oh my gosh. I mean, and then we get to the end and we swing around and the boom goes out over a part that had already been planted and it'll X off the, the little tubes that drop seeds. It would shut them off. We weren't planting. It was up in the air, but it's, you, you can't, you can't believe what's going on. That's wild. Yeah. Well, I think you missed to make your point here about the fertilizer, which is there's an application for that to business. Do you want to finish that analogy of not applying uh, all up front? Yeah. And going well, through? I mean, if you, I mean, that is an advantage that they've come up with. Same thing with us. Uh, I talked about the three attributes of a good business owner in one of our podcasts of seeing businesses in their venture and then being decisive. Yeah. And the nice thing about making, and if you're, I said that great business leaders don't equivocate over their decisions. If it turns out it was wrong, then they make another decision. So if you can parse your decisions yeah. into units that allow you flexibility as you go forward, that's a wonderful thing. And that's the split fertilizer application. And also, I mean, even taking that into account just in terms of inventory, right? Rather than taking on oh, all yeah. this inventory up front moving to more of a just-in-time inventory uh, and having your systems better to where you can operate on just-in-time inventory, um, you know, is, yeah. is another application to that for sure. Just well, this has been fun, man. Um, yeah. Lots of different waves. I don't even know what we're going to title this one. You have a title off the top of your head that we'll go with? Yeah, split application of fertilizer in 2023. Gosh. Hey, we spread, a, we spread a little fertilizer ourselves over... 170 episodes, haven't we? We sure have. <laughs> we sure have. Uh, most people refer to fertilizer as poop. And uh, yeah. we've, we've spread quite a bit of that over yeah, the little course of 170 yeah. episodes. All right, man. Thanks. Okay. You bet. See ya. Next week. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com. 